Hey everybody, my name is Anita Kirkbride of Torp Communications and this is Halablab, the show for small businesses in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join me as I talk to businesses you may be following and some you might not have heard of yet. Hear stories from local business owners like you, how they started, where they're going, and of course, since I'm a social media consultant, how they're using social media. Take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Halifax. Welcome back to another episode of Halablab. Thanks for joining us today. This episode has actually been pre-recorded because as you're listening right now, I'm enjoying the Social Media Marketing World Conference out in San Diego. So hopefully I'll be coming back. Well, I know I'll be coming back with all kinds of great information to be sharing on social media. In the meantime, my guest today is Jesse Harold. Jesse Harold is a coach, women's mentor, doula, and author of the book, Project Body Love, my quest to love my body and the surprising truth I found instead. Jessie likes to say she does women's work, which means she helps women bring their babies earthside, creates community, and holds brave spaces for women to find themselves and helps women reconnect with their bodies and the earth and offers up a dose of word medicine wherever she can. Jessie offers two mentorship programs, the Unearth Sovereignty School for Women and Mothershift holds retreats and guides wilderness quests and occasionally rushes off into the night to attend a birth. She lives on the Eastern shore where she cares for her two children and tends to her land. Well, welcome, Jessie. Thank you so much. So super interesting and so very, very different from the way that I live my life. So I'm sure I'm gonna have lots of questions for you today. Um, Let's start with Project Body Love. What is Project Body Love? Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, Project Body Love is uh, a book that I wrote. Uh, It just came out in January. Um, It's been a labor of love for the last four years or so. And um, the story of Project Body Love probably started when I was six years old and was a fat kid and, um, you know, have struggled with Um, body image and just living as a larger person in the world um, since that time, since I kind of realized that I was um, built that way. Mm -hmm. And that started to be reflected back to me by others. And, um, you know, through my 20s, I spent a lot of time dieting and over-exercising, trying to kind of outdo myself physically and improving, really, trying to prove uh, what I was capable of, even though I was fat, uh, while kind of simultaneously always trying to lose weight. Um, and after the birth of my children, um, I had my daughter seven years ago, and my son's about to turn four. It was really after my son's birth um, that I kind of hit a, a, a sort of rock bottom in my relationship with my body, in the sense that, um, you know, I was no longer able to do a lot of the things that I was able to do to kind of be okay in my body um, when I was in my 20s. You know, I, I kind of often say that um, being a larger bodied person has made that much more okay in the world when you're actively working to not be that way anymore. Mm-hmm. If you're actively dieting or if you're headed off to the gym, then, you know, it's uh, so, so it was challenging. It, I kind of came to this place where this person I had identified myself as this kind of 
um, high achieving, um, you know, over exerciser and, and um, you know, athletic person had kind of um, gone dormant as I worked to raise my babies and my body was working in a really different way, in a very functional way in a lot of ways because I was growing and birthing and nursing my babies. Um, but I really came to a, a kind of a rock bottom place where I didn't actually feel like I was um, at home in my body anymore. I didn't, I felt like I belonged to someone else almost. And, um, mm -hmm. and it was at that time also, you might be able to appreciate this, but I, you know, I was just starting my business. And so um, all of a sudden I was in the public eye a lot more uh, on social media and kind of, you know, just, I, I couldn't kind of, um, you know, live quietly in this despair that I was feeling in my body. And also um, my work is as a life coach. And so there was, you know, this kind of greater sense of discordance. It felt like something I couldn't actually, um, you know, live with this sense of discordance in myself. It felt um, very much that, um, you know, how could I be um, helping others and supporting others to live in authenticity when mm -hmm. I was actually feeling um, this sense of unbelonging in my own skin. And mm -hmm. so that almost kind of triggered an, a, a, like an emotional um, rock bottom in a way uh, when it came to my relationship with my body. And, and so I decided to use the method that I developed to support other women through this process of finding themselves and finding their authenticity. And the same process I'd used to, you know, find the career that felt like me, um, the home that felt like me. And, and that process was um, one of creating tiny experiments to start to kind of nudge at um, what was true about my relationship with my body mm -hmm. and, and start to explore it a little bit. And that approach comes from something called complex adaptive systems theory, which sounds really fancy, but basically is that we're complex humans and simple solutions or like kind of band-aid type solutions don't work for us. So, you know, I knew that starting another diet or just trying harder was not going to cut it. And that this was a complex issue for me that had a lot more to do with my identity and my emotional landscape and, and so many other things than just, you know, trying harder, um, mm -hmm. you know, eating more carrots or something. And so it was good because I don't think I could eat more carrots. <laughs> yeah. There's a carrot threshold. <laughs> yeah. And so I started this process that really, I mean, it started very slowly. It started, I was, you know, newly-ish postpartum with my son. And so it started with like, could I take a shower? Could I honor and value myself and my body enough to just take a dang shower? Like, um, you know, in those early postpartum months, that feels like a bit of a feat. Could I get more sleep? Could I drink some more water? And so it started off very pragmatically. Um, and simultaneously, I was writing about the entire process because I am a person who, um, who kind of works things out through writing. And so that felt like a part of the experimentation was to write it out. Um, I wrote about my history in my relationship with my body, like hearkening way back to that six-year-old self and mapping it through and wondering what, what is the landscape of this relationship that I hold? And so the experimentation and writing went on over a period of two years. Um, 
And the first year was, yeah, some of that really practical kind of nuts and bolts stuff. And then the second year, um, I discovered early in that second year, a movement called Health at Every Size, which really debunked a lot of what I understood um, uh, health to look like, I guess, mm -hmm. which is interesting. I've got a master's of health promotion, and yet I was completely unaware of the extent and pervasiveness of diet culture, even in my own kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was a huge awakening for me. And I realized that um, to come to a place of body love, which was, I thought I was seeking, um, it was going to be an inside job. And so, um, you know, it became less about drinking more water and more about how can I learn to just be in relationship with my body? Like just notice even um, how it works, how it functions, um, what's happening below my shoulders at any given time. Um, and so the experiments continued for another year. And I, and I came to a place finally, um, and the title kind of gives it away, which is surprising truth I found instead. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought that, that at the end of it all, I was going to get to this point where I would look in the mirror and just be totally dazzled and just, you know, and just love my body. Um, you know, just like they say on social, just love your body. Um, why don't you, you know? And, um, and I thought, yeah, there must, there, there must be an end point here at which I will love my body. And then I can finish writing this dang book and put it out into the world. And it never came. <laughs> the book sat 98% finished on my hard drive. And I just waited because I thought maybe something else will come along. Maybe another experiment will pop into my mind that will cause me to just kind of click into this place of acceptance. And what I realized in the process is that this will be a practice for my entire life because part of accepting that I'm a larger bodied person means that I have to continue living in the world as a larger bodied person um, when the world isn't necessarily kind to those of us who carry more weight. You know, there are some very distinct realities that I will experience as a, as a person um, who's larger that, that thin people won't experience. And that's just a reality. So some days that's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just with a ton of self-compassion that I was able to say, okay, I've gotten to a place of being in relationship with my body. And that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, and some days that's kind of, I want to say the best I can hope for, but actually that's quite tremendous. Um, and that there will be some days when I feel love, but that love is, I think maybe a byproduct of, um, and maybe like a happy accidental byproduct of just being in relationship with our body and accepting and respecting um, our physical bodies. And so that's kind of where the journey took me in the end. And, you know, after quite some time, the book finally was just published in January and it feels really good to have it out in the world. Um, because now it feels as though people, when they read it, um, yeah, they're reading my story, but I think what they're actually learning is their own story about their bodies. And it's been just, um, so resonant for mm -hmm. so many people and the number of people that have kind of come forth and said, this has been my experience too. And, and, um, and maybe starting to kind of foster that self-compassion for themselves as well has been really beautiful. And so are you getting that negative feedback about this book or is it, is it all mostly positive? Can we knock wood? I know. <laughs> I have not, I have not 
um, gotten negative feedback about this book um, that I'm aware of. Um, I'm so grateful that that's the case. I have to say, um, and I know this, this might be of interest to you just around sort of the social media experience. Um, one of the things that kind of triggered me into um, a sort of rock bottom phase when I started writing this book was actually um, a, an article that I wrote about um, women's postpartum bodies, including my own, that went viral on um, the wellness blog, Mind Body Green. And uh, it was, it had been taken, uh, so it was a, a photo that I had orchestrated. There was a photo at the time that was kind of bopping around the internet, it was about four years ago, that was a, a photo of a whole bunch of um, women all breastfeeding their babies. And yes, I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. It was very, um, it, it was very popular. The photo at the time was kind of getting attention um, around the subject of breastfeeding, which I'm, you know, also as a doula, very passionate about. But I was kind of wanted to recreate this photo with the intention of um, just kind of creating some dialogue about postpartum bodies. I had I was like three months postpartum with my son at that point, and so gathered a group of about fifteen women um, together in Halifax and took this beautiful photo. And I felt like there was something more to be done with the photo, and so um, with the permission of the women, I wrote this article. Uh, from Mind Body Green, which at the time I thought, like I thought it was just a totally positive article. I just mm -hmm. couldn't imagine anyone um, seeing anything negative about it. It was just a really heartwarming piece. Um, and it was published and it went viral. And then I encountered trolls, <laughs> which yeah. I had never encountered before. Um, and man, I, I just, I guess I, I didn't, I'd been writing on the internet for a long time up at that, up until that point, but had never really written anything that apparently was so controversial to people. Um, and so this is my first encounter with some really just not even negative feedback, like just vicious, mm -hmm. vicious feedback. Um, and that, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I was, it felt like a train wreck to me. I couldn't look away. I couldn't stop watching the comments roll in and, yeah. Um, you know, I took them personally. I really did. And so that really affected my relationship with my own body. People actually kind of, you know, picking me out of the photo and yeah. ridiculing the way that my body looked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also just felt terrible for having unwittingly brought other women into this world um, that I probably kind of having been on the internet writing and blogging and things for a few years probably could have known existed but these poor women, I felt like didn't realize what they were possibly getting into. And mm -hmm. just, um, anyways, so, so that if, was, a let me ask you something though. If, if you, if you were to go back and do it again, mm. would you, would you change something about the article would, or the picture? Would it be different? Do you think, or would no, you? It wouldn't, it wouldn't. I think I would change the way that I responded. I, I didn't respond. I reacted to the, to the messages that came afterwards. And I think that I would shift my response. And I think, um, you know, if anything at this point, what a pretty wicked rebellious streak. Um, I feel like that those comments would have been fuel for my fire mm -hmm. more so than, yeah. Well, you know, well-behaved women never make history. Precisely. <laughs> exactly the energy that I think I would have drawn from that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so but I would have It seems that nothing, nothing on the internet draws the ire of trolls more than 
body positive messages. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> the worst, the worst trolls I ever see and knock wood, I haven't had to experience that, but the worst trolls I ever see are the ones attacking women like you who are trying to put out body positive messages mm -hmm. like Megan Trainer and her song yeah. and you know, um, Amy Schumer and her naked photos right. and you know the, the comments become about the body not about the message yeah absolutely. So it's really disheartening so what gave you the courage to move forward and take that into a book Oof, I don't know. I haven't really thought of that. Um, I felt like, I guess at the time, in that very moment, it felt like an imperative, you know, um, I guess, you know, maybe kind of thinking back to that time frame, um, I didn't like feeling so vulnerable to people's um, perceptions of the, the value and shape and size of my body. I felt very, now, I was three months postpartum. I was vulnerable to everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, um, and it, so it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm, I'm not saying like that I wanted to harden myself to it, but that I wanted to become more resilient to it, to be able to know that, okay, yep, that's a troll and they've got issues of their own mm -hmm. and I am still worthy and I am still okay. And instead I got um, really pulled into believing um, some of those comments. And mm -hmm. I mean, nobody's perfect. I think, you know, um, reading that no matter how, you know, resilient and well-resourced you were would be painful. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think at the time it was sort of like, I, I need to address this. It felt like a big wake up call for me that if I'm this vulnerable to other people's perceptions of my body, there's something more going on here mm -hmm. um, that is, it's time to explore. It's time to, you know, um, to look this 30 plus year relationship with my body in the eye um, and shift it. So. Mm -hmm. I think what was really, what really resonated with me when you were talking about how the project came about is when you called it a practice. It's not so many things that are inside jobs, so many things in our mind. You can't, you can't just uh, cure it or fix it once. It will come back. So it is a practice. I've done a lot of work in the last year on mindset. And, you know, right now I'm in a really good place. But who's to say a week from now, I, you know, I know that this will be an ongoing struggle. So what kinds of things do you recommend to women who to help them keep their practice up, I guess? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is self-compassion mm -hmm. is this, you know, just even the acknowledgement that it's a practice and that mm -hmm. so by definition, therefore, sometimes you'll suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really important to remember yeah. that, um, you know, some days it's just not going to feel good. You're not going to feel on your A game. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, next week. Who knows your mindset could take a a hit um and i think i think that's the key to kind of the resilience that we need to just to just keep putting one foot in front of the other like mm -hmm. it's okay that this feels hard today um you know it's hard living in a larger body or it's challenging staying positive or whatever it is that whatever practice that you're you're 
it's hard doing downward dog or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, and that's okay. And tomorrow is another day to try again. And you are loved and you are worthy and you are perfect, even when you don't get it right. You know, and I, even as I'm saying those words, I'm saying them to myself because I feel like every single day is a, is a practice in self-compassion, if mm -hmm. anything. I mean, it takes time to cultivate that like nurturing voice within ourselves, because I think a lot of us are quite familiar with the berating voice within ourselves. Oh, like absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what, one of my big struggles is energy levels. And mm -hmm. so I talk about how much I love naps everywhere. Everybody knows yeah. I love a good nap. And, uh, but if I need to take a nap after lunch, I often think, oh, I'm wasting my time. I should be, I should be doing this or I need to be doing that. But no, my body needs to sleep and I'll be more productive later. So I, I, I've started backtracking um, and correct, course correcting that voice in my head to say, no, if you're really that tired, you can't keep your eyes open. You're going to make more mistakes on the computer. You're going to say things. You're going to put things on the wrong account. You're going to call people the wrong thing. You're going to react inappropriately to something you see. So just go take the nap and then come back. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think everybody, everybody has those struggles and, and it is a practice. Every time I take a nap, I have to go through that conversation again. It doesn't come naturally yet. Yeah. 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 So tell us what is the Unearth Sovereignty School for Women? Mm. You must have intuitively known that this would flow very beautifully from naps. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Let me use your example of naps. I, um, what, I, uh, what I think is that when we listen to those cues from our bodies and when we choose rest over productivity, um, that's pretty friggin' counterculture, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's like, it's, um, and I would say, you know, same for, for, you know, uh, body image stuff. The voice that comes up inside you is not just your own voice. It is very much the voice of our culture. It is not okay to rest. It is not okay to, um, not be productive. You are not worthy if you're not productive. Um, yeah. and so that, kind of tips into a little conversation about Unearth. Unearth is about, um, it's, it's a sovereignty school for women. And the idea behind Unearth is to support women to unearth who they are and what matters most to them. And also to unearth some of these skills and practices that we have really lost in our culture. Um, and I call them the skills of the wise wild woman because they're skills that were typically associated with um, kind of this feminine energy. And I don't mean that in a gendered sense per mm -hmm. se, yeah. but we all have feminine energy. And so those skills include self-tending. So I mean that sort of differently than self-care because I think we think of like bubbles and pedicures and stuff. Self-tending is exactly what you did with your nap, like noticing a cue from your body or from your emotional state, recognizing it as valid and skillfully meeting that, mm -hmm. um, that cue. So, you know, actually taking the nap instead of, you know, drinking another cup of coffee, that might be, um, 
you know, a, what we might call an unskillful meeting of that need, which is still a meeting of the need, but it's just maybe not the perfect match, which is fine. <laughs> Self-compassion. Um, I, I drink the coffee and then I nap. <laughs> I read years ago that that's what you should do. You drink the coffee or the Pepsi or whatever, and then you go take a nap for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And when you wake up, the caffeine is kicked in and you're good to go. Oh, nice. I've never tried that. <laughs> Although I'm notorious for like still being sleepy after taking, uh, having, having a coffee. Well, if I could do a 20 minute nap, that would be impressive. I'm yeah. more like a two or three hour napper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So there's that self-tending um, embodiment is part of it. Again, like working to live in the world below our shoulders. Um, earth connection. So this idea that, I mean, yeah, we totally know that um, we all tend to feel more calm and centered and connected to ourselves and the earth. Um, but also that the earth has, you know, needs us just as much as we need it and starting to kind of um, come into our bodies and, and come into the fact that we're animals of the earth, really, mm -hmm. that we, um, you know, and reconnecting with the earth in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Inner knowing is another is another skill that I think a lot of us are like we try to kind of google our way out of things rather than listening to the voice within um, community and creativity so those are some of the um, some of the skills of the wise wild woman that I also teach in the unearth program and really like the overarching um, sort of uh, I guess stance that I take with unearth is that we've lost touch with who we are and we've lost touch with those skills. Um, and I think when we see so many, and I, I mean people generally, but I think it impacts women particularly, um, so many people striving so hard, working without rest, um, you know, disconnected from themselves and their bodies, whether that's, you know, chasing achievement as opposed to doing what kind of really calls you on a soul level when it comes to your vocation mm -hmm. to, you know, that body love piece, like striving to be in a different body. Um, you know, we get really deeply caught up in that. And I'll be the first to admit I'm right there with <laughs> everyone else, you know, mm -hmm. it's a mentorship program for a reason because I'm walking alongside, you know, I've done this in many areas of my life and my career and in many of my relationships and in my in my relationship with my body and yet um, it's still a practice for us all I think to kind of come home to ourselves and really understand who we are and navigate the world from that place mm -hmm. so unearth is really about giving the women giving women the skills to continue to do that because mm -hmm. I think a lot of us feel like lost and kind of under-resourced we see ourselves working too hard saying yes to everything um, Googling our way out of our intuition, you know, we're seeking community and connection with other women um, and just with each other in general. And but we're kind of grasping at straws, trying mm. to figure out how do I shift this in my life. And so on Earth, it's like kind of like the toolkit um, to come back home to yourself, the mm. guide, the map. Um, and so that's what that's about. And I think it's a radical act. I think it's a radical act for women to say, um, this is who I am and I'm worthy in the world and um, I am going to listen to my body and I'm going to reconnect with the earth and I'm going to rest and I'm going to listen to my inner knowing. I think that mm. that's a, a tremendously rebellious act. 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's, so there's two things. One, when I stepped out my front door, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, and it was the first warm, sunny day we've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I walked out and I stretched and I breathed in the fresh air and I sat in the parking lot of McDonald's, no judgment on the McDonald's from anybody, please. But I sat in the parking lot at McDonald's because um, I needed lunch and I didn't have time to go home and all that stuff. And just with the windows down and the sun beating on me, just enjoying the fact that it was warm and that gave me so much energy. Mm -hmm. But but one of the other things is I, um, in the past year, I've really come to discover what my working algorithms are. I don't know how else to describe it. Mm-hmm. And I know that I front load my week because by the end of the week, by Friday, I'm exhausted. Yeah. So I do most of my major client work on Monday and a little bit on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Friday, I'm recording Hellablab. And that's kind of that gives me energy. So I know it's something I can do at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. But I've been able to really schedule my work in a way that works much better for me and I feel less stressed and I feel less guilty about taking those afternoon naps when I need them and I think I've talked a lot about that with some other colleagues about how we all have these working patterns and we just need to figure out when they are so is that something that you you help these women figure out for themselves yeah well that's so beautiful first of all that you that you know that about yourself I feel like that's and and that you honor it it's like Mm -hmm. you know that when I talk about that self-tending it's it's one thing to know that about yourself and it's a it is a whole other step to say I'm gonna honor that and as you as you mentioned with your nap it's not always an easy thing to do um yeah, I think that that's, that that's definitely kind of falls under the purview of it. You know, what you talk about is sort of interconnected with that, what my body needs, that idea of embodiment um, and self-tending, um, like learning to kind of tend to your needs. And what it also is, is sort of, um, it kind of falls under the purview of this vocational shift that I think a lot of us are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I talk about sort of helping women discover who they are and what matters most to them, that sort of really, um, you know, falls under that. So some people, some people, it feels like a, a career shift. Some people, it feels like it's maybe a relationship shift. Um, maybe it's a shift in their relationship with their body as just examples. But, but yeah, learning um, what is good for you, what is for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and having the courage also to carve out a life that honors that. I think that that's so important. I think we see that generally. Well, I shouldn't say, um, I mean, I, I think we see a lot of people who are kind of um, either opting out of or rebelling against um, what we would kind of call like the ideal worker mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently read the book um, Overwhelmed mm-hmm. by Bridget Schultz. And she talks about the ideal worker that, you know, we've, you know, our kind of world right now is still predicated on this industrialist notion that, you know, all of us little widgets go off to work and make more widgets (laughs) and we work really hard and it's better if we work harder and longer and then we go home and we do it all over again. Right. And so I think there's a lot of us who are really questioning that. Um, And the other thing is that, you know, and I, I know from having, 
been an entrepreneur for five years now. And it's also, that's an inside job too, right? Because I think yeah. we really internalize those ideas of like productivity equals value in the world. And if you're not busy, then what are you doing? <laughs> um, right. And we, you know, we, so often the, the primary adjective that we use to describe our lives is busy. Um, I don't know that we necessarily want that for ourselves, but it feels um, hard to get out of. I think. And so a lot of what I do in Unearth is really disrupting kind of the underlying patterns. So not just, it's not just, okay, well now you should carve out two hours for a nap in your day. Like that is sort of a behavior modification that won't stick unless we actually mm -hmm. look at some of the, the fundamental narratives that you're telling yourself about what it means to take a nap, what it means to rest. And so that's kind of the work of unearth. It's like really digging down into um, how is it that you're, I like to say, throwing yourself under the bus mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? and why are you doing that? And, mm -hmm. um, and, and what does that, what does it mean about you if you rest or if you are no longer in this particular career? And, and I really think of it as an identity shift. So, you know, moving from like, the, for example, the identity of the ideal worker to the identity of someone who um, is showing up first and foremost for her own needs mm -hmm. and, and her own passions and abilities and all of those things. And so, but that's monumental. That's not just like, I'm just going to put a few different things in my calendar. You know, we, we often kind of to do our list, uh, to do list our way out of those kind of behaviors. And that usually doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of getting at that, those, the roots, unearth the roots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of some of those mm -hmm. behaviors. Yeah. Super interesting uh, topics and, and right up there with all of the mindset work and all of the books I've been reading. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of books, if there's one book that you would tell people they should read other than yours, because we've already talked about yours. Oh yeah. <laughs> Gosh, there's so many. What, where, where would you recommend people start if they want to read a book about mindset shifts or, or the body love, the kind of stuff you're talking about? Mm. Do you know, uh, the book I'm looking over at my bookshelf right now, the book that comes to mind actually has nothing to do with mindset shifts. Okay. However, um, it's a book, I'm just going to grab it. I'm just going to sure. show everybody because I'm, I am a, I'm deeply in love with books. Um, it's this book, If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon. Okay. Yeah. And um, I, I think a, a lot of women who maybe resonate with some of the things that I talk about have read the book, If Women, or I'm um, sorry, Women Who Run With the Wolves. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard of that. I have not read that. Oh, I'm going to get on that. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> it's very much sort of that, like tapping into that wild feminine that I, I've been talking about. Um, and if Women Rose Rooted is, is, so it's the journey to authenticity and belonging. And it's, mm -hmm. it's um, really about um, this journey that I think so many women are taking. And I say women particularly because we've sort of, we experience as women a constellation of both oppressions and um, sort of cultural constructs that I think make this path particularly unique for us. Mm. Um, and she talks about this kind of path back home to ourselves and back, back to this sense of um, the archetypical feminine in our lives. And she interweaves it um, 
also with Celtic mythology, which I kind of love um, because I have Celtic roots. And so it's just everyone I recommend this book to, their mind is totally blown. <laughs> so I'm going to say this one. Um, awesome. And she's also written some other really pretty amazing books as well. Well, I'll add those two books, both of those books to my list. Yeah. Um, I've started listening to a lot of self-help type books in the car while I'm driving around the city. So sure. It's yeah. amazing how quickly you can get through a book when you drive, you know, yeah. half an hour to get everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do the same. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about social media. So yeah. you talked about how how a negative experience with social media was the catalyst for all of this, but how are you using social media now to to build your business and to promote the book? Yeah. Um, I, I love Instagram and like everybody, I think <laughs> is making the shift <laughs> over to Instagram and, um, I'm a writer at heart. I've always been a writer first. It's how I, you know, as I talked about kind of how I work through things, which is what, you know, uh, happened when I wrote project body love. Um, and it's, it's how I express my ideas. And so, um, social media just, it's wonderful for me in that sense because um, I, it doesn't feel like an effort. You know, I talk to a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm going to have to post every day. That means I'm going to have to figure out what to say. I'm like, this is not a problem I have. Um, <laughs> and so I love that I get to share my words mm -hmm. on social media. Um, I, I kind of love that Instagram has taken a little bit more of a shift toward the long form post. Um, although I, I do notice that I've had to kind of balance my creative energy um, because I've been like a straight up blogger for, oh my goodness, like seven years now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I found that I was having, I had a little bit of a sort of a, um, a shift in my creative energy because it was all going to my blog. And then I realized that I was spending a lot of time, like a, doing, you know, writing a lot of content on social media and um, wondering why I didn't have any blog posts. I just like, oh, I, I kind of Instagram them all. But um, anyways, that's been an interesting kind of shift. But I do love using Instagram and social media for that reason. It's a way to get my words out to the world. And, and that's how I connect with people very naturally. Like people resonate with what I write. And so that feels like a really natural extension of, um, of kind of putting my work out into the world. So do you have any tips then for people who maybe want to do the more long form content on Instagram? Hmm. I think what, uh, what helps me, and I don't know if this is just like a personality trait, so I don't know if this will actually help other people or not, but I notice, I notice everything. And Instagram almost helps in a way because I can then like, I can kind of snap a photo of the moment that I'm having this idea or something and sort of, market in some way. Um, and so I tend to just kind of take note of the ideas that are popping into my head, the concepts, um, the stories. Um, and, and I tend to, you know, I will, um, yeah, write the vast majority of what I kind of want to write in my, in my, um, Instagram post in my mind you know, out on a walk or while I'm playing with the kids. Um, I think I adapted that as a new mom because I, I never had, you know, time to just sit and write something. So I would like mm -hmm. formulate this whole thing in my head. And then the minute I got a second, I'd be like, <laughs> writing it down. Um, 
Yeah, and I and I also like maybe more pragmatically, um, I use the um, like the draft post function in Instagram oh. a lot. So I'll kind of take a picture and like maybe write down a few ideas of what I was thinking at the time or what I want to explore more, and then I just save it as a draft. Um, and so I kind of always have a few running, which also kind of helps with that feeling of, I, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, how am I going to figure out what to say every single day? Um, that is this feeling of comfort knowing that mm -hmm. I have always got something to say. <laughs> Literally, it's in my drafts. And, um, and so that kind of helps. I don't know if that's good advice or not. Um, I, I think that's a great tip. I've not even thought of using the drafts in Instagram that way. So yeah. that's, that's a great tip. I mean, I use my drafts in WordPress that way. If I get an idea for a blog post, I throw it in as a, as a title and I put my initial thoughts in, but I've, I've never thought of using, I don't use Instagram as a blog kind of like you do. So maybe that's why, but I've never thought of doing that. So I think that's a fabulous tip for people who, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. They think of things and then by the time they get somewhere to write it down, <laughs> they've forgotten what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you're like me, I have a Samsung, so I don't have Siri. And Bixby is the Siri for Samsung. And Bixby's not quite as, uh, Bixby's one beer short of a case compared to Siri. <laughs> so the other day I actually was driving in the car and I had a couple of ideas and I said, hey Bixby, and I said, Remind me to do, and I, and I put two different, anyway, they're gone into the ether. So <laughs> I think that's a brilliant tip for people who are using Instagram and are having ideas and want to save them um, yeah. because you save them with the picture, right? Yeah, it kind of helps to like trigger the memory around it. And yeah, I think what you mentioned too is a really good point of, of how you want to use Instagram. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I blog every other week now um, because I feel like I'm putting a lot of content out on social media and yeah, on Instagram primarily. And so I've sort of reduced the amount of, of like long form blogging I'm doing. Um, but yeah, for me, it makes a lot of sense to do like long form Instagram posts. Um, and that's kind of how I best express. And it's usually not about the photo and it's often not about like, here's what I ate for supper. But those are also really like fine strategies to use depending on what your purpose for Instagram is. So I think like that's um, to be delineated there that like, you know, what you want to use Instagram for. Um, and not to feel pressure to do these long form posts if that's not your game. Do you have any tips for people who um, maybe struggle to see those stories in their daily life? This is something I struggle with quite honestly is I, I things happen to me all the time and I obviously, and I know <laughs> that there have to be things happening to me that I could be using. Right as stories and I'm just not seeing it. So do you have like, what triggers you to go, oh, I can use this? Mm -hmm. Part of it is definitely, I think, a little bit of a personality quirk of mine as somebody <laughs> who's a storyteller, like I just, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, uh, you know, we talked about practice. I think um, it, for me, it started with a writing practice. Like before I even used social media, it was me showing up to write every day. And I noticed that, um, 
as I started doing that in my life and like, again, no pressure for everybody to just start a writing practice. This is what's important to me. Um, and what makes me feel like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I started doing it, the more I started thinking of life in stories mm-hmm. or thinking about, like, I would think about the things I think about in the form um, that I wanted to write it almost. And so it's almost like my brain was starting to kind of, um, you know, consider my life differently when I was thinking of it through the, through the lens of a writer. Mm-hmm. And so, and I mean, I've definitely, I noticed this when Facebook first came out. I, I, I think other people have had this experience where like you were thinking in Facebook posts, like, oh, this would be good for Facebook. This is what I'd write. Mm-hmm. You might not actually do it, but, um, but. I think sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I, I did that. I, I remember um, doing that you know, when Facebook first came out and, you know, you're posting all the time because it was just so jazzy and fun. (laughs) And, um, and so I think there's something to that, like this sort of like lens to how would I share this or, um, what is, what would I want to say about this? And I think the more you do it, um, the more that's the way your mind is oriented. Mm-hmm. So many of these things that we've talked about today, they're muscles that need to be exercised, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But self self love, body love, mindset, storytelling—they're mm-hmm. all things that even even just general social media use and mm-hmm. and lessening the fear of being on social media—they're all muscles that we need to massage and use and stretch. So yeah, um, yeah, I, that's that's something I I'm gonna try and keep in mind and and start looking for those stories a little bit more. Maybe yeah. maybe you'll see some long form posts from me soon. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the parking lot of McDonald's <laughs> from, well, you know, there's an example. I, I could have told the story about why I was sitting in the parking lot of McDonald's and what was going through my mind. Yeah. But, and I think what that allows, Anita, and I mean, again, this is, this is depends on how you want to orient yourself on social media, but I think that allows us to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, and not every business, I mean, it, it's, I, I have all kinds of thoughts about how our businesses have kind of become us and how we're sort of, we're so interwoven and we have, um, we have some really interesting ideas about like, you know, performative vulnerability is something that I'm quite concerned about that I see people like mm-hmm. performing vulnerability on social media, even though it feels really awful yeah. on the inside or leaves them with a vulnerability hangover. Um, or, you know, I, I, I never want kind of people to overshare when they feel that when that doesn't feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, showing us just a little bit of your life and your perspective. um, Those are the, you know, those are the social media posts that always get sort of the most engagement for me. If we want to talk in kind of metrics um, are the ones where I just kind of share a little slice of me. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I think that's a a good place to stop for today. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me today and telling us your book and your project and the Sovereignty School for Women. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Really interesting stuff. And I hope uh, hope some people will reach out to you to get help with that. And yeah, start on April second. So. (laughs) 
Fabulous. All right. Well, thanks for joining me and thanks to everybody who uh, caught up with the live. Well, the sort of kind of live today. <laughs> and uh, for those who are watching it on the or listening to it on the podcast, thanks so much. Uh, we have a couple of episodes of the Hello Lab left. Please come join me at 1.30 p.m. on the Twerp Communications Facebook page next week for a live recording. Um, and we will see you all then. Stay social, Halifax. Thanks for listening this week. You can catch the Halablab live every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic, 12.30 p.m. Eastern on the Twerp Communications Facebook page or catch the replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to twerp.ca for links to everything we mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, you'll probably want to grab one of the freebies available to help small businesses manage their own social media marketing. If you run a small business in the Halifax area and you'd like to be featured on Halablab, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at twerp.ca. That's info at twirp.ca. Talk to you next week.